good nine o'clock. How we doing? Happy 2024. Believe it or not, we made it. And I'm excited to kick off this brand new year with you, Rocky Peak. But first of all, special welcome to those of you that are joining us on campus or watching for the very first time. Welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. My name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Shout out to those of you wearing 49ers gear. God is pleased. There we go. Two games away. I am nourished by your booze. I don't care. We are starting spicy. Hey, we're going to go ahead and go into our time of teaching this morning. And so I want you to do two things for me. One, make sure you got your Bibles, whether physical or digital, ready to go. Secondly, if you haven't done so already, inside your program, there is a green and white message note sheet, which is a great tool to help you follow along. And in particular, we're covering a lot of ground in the note sheet. So it's going to be really helpful for you this morning. So I'm ready to give you everything I got. You ready, Rocky Peak? All right, let's go to the Lord together. King Jesus, I got to just pause on that title, King Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your gathered church. Thank you that we get to come from different backgrounds, different stories, different life experiences, different successes, different hurts, different passions, different gifts, but we're united by the same Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your gathered church that we get to come as we are. There are some of us in this room that 2024 is actually off to a good start. It's been hopeful, there's been joy, there's been success even. There are some of us in this room that 2024 so far is the hardest year of our lives. Whether that's continued from last year or just unexpected circumstances, Jesus, thank you that they are not alone. They have each other, we have each other and we have you. And so King Jesus, as we go into this time of teaching, as we open up your word, which is living and active, as I often do, I pray the precious words of John the Baptist, as the communicator, may I become less. Nothing that's happening this morning has anything to do with me. But may you, as the King of King and Lord of Lords, become far, far more in our eyes and in our hearts. And so we commit this time to you, King Jesus, and it's in your name we all say, amen. Amen, Rocky Peak. So I want to kick off the first message of 2024 by taking you back to the 1990s. I want to take you back to the 1990s because I want to talk about Michael Jordan. Now, I want to talk about Michael Jordan because many of us immediately know that he is a legendary athlete, a legendary basketball player. But for many people, myself included, we would say that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. So humbly, Rocky Peak, as one of your spiritual elders, I present to you the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Now, as I say that, I say that with all due respect and in no way to minimize the greatness of other athletes like LeBron, Steph, Kobe, Magic, and Kareem before this. But the reason why I say that Michael is the greatest of all time, and if you disagree with me, don't email me. I don't care what you have to say. If you... <laughs> is that when you look at his statistics, they make a very compelling argument. Michael Jordan with the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s won six NBA championships. He, he is a five-time recipient of the season league most valuable player award. In fact, a couple years ago, they named that award after him. He is a six-time NBA finals MVP. He is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. In the year 2000, ESPN declared Michael Jordan the greatest athlete of the century, and he is the lead actor of the original Space Jam movie. Come on. <laughs> but one thing that I find extraordinary, one of my favorite words about Michael Jordan, is we have to ask the question, how did he become the greatest? And the truth is, Michael did not become the greatest simply because of raw talent or a genetic aptitude. Now, those things were helpful, but the reason why Michael Jordan is the GOAT, and I love, I heard that put this way once before, is that he had a whole life architecture that was dedicated to training. He had a whole life architecture that was dedicated to practicing, that was dedicated to growth and getting better. 
There are some reports that say that in his prime, Michael practiced five hours a day, seven days a week. The people that led and play with him all spoke about MJ's work ethic. Dean Smith, who was the head coach at the University of North Carolina where Michael played in college, said this, that as a freshman, he was inconsistent, but it was the teenager's work ethic that stood out. James Worthy went on to have his own NBA Hall of Fame career with the LA Lakers. He was Michael's teammate and he had this to say, I was better than he was for about two weeks because of Michael's worth ethic. B.J. Armstrong, who was his teammate on the Chicago Bulls for the first of the three of the six titles, had this to say. It was his preparation was by far superior to any player I've ever seen. You know, a couple months ago, I was listening to John Mark Comer speak. John Mark has become one of my favorite authors, pastors, speakers over the last couple years. And he was speaking about Michael Jordan. In fact, it's the inspiration of where I got this illustration from. And there in your note sheet, he had this to say, that the hour or two on the court was made possible by the tens of thousands of hours dedicated off the court. And so again, why do I start off by talking about Michael Jordan? Because he modeled not a commitment to the occasional training, to the occasional practice, but Michael Jordan modeled a commitment to a lifestyle of training. In other words, he modeled a commitment to a lifestyle of pursuing growth. Now, if we move away from the NBA and we apply this to us as Christ followers in 2024, what do you think would happen in your spiritual life if you applied that same commitment, not to perfection, but a commitment to training? What would happen in your spiritual growth? And what would happen is that you would experience the greater things that God has for you. And that's what we're gonna be unpacking in our time this morning. And so if you're joining us for the first time, again, welcome to you. We're continuing this three-week mini-series that Joel kicked off last week called Greater Things. And the heart of this series is very simple, that God has more for your life than you realize. In fact, for those of you that have been around Rocky Peak for any length of time, you've heard Michael often say that God has an epic vision for our lives, and that vision is more, more more of God, more of his love, more of his presence and power and grace and mercy. And last week, Joel set the foundation for the series, which comes out of Ephesians chapter three. It was a big chunk of scripture, verses 14 through 21. But there in your note sheet, I wanna highlight two of those verses. The verse is, the first is verse 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, would you circle that? And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then there in Enochi, we jump down to a portion of verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, would you circle that? Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And so what do we see in the summary of that passage? that in rooting ourselves deeper in the love of Christ is how we experience the more that God has for us. And so what I wanna unpack in our time this morning is then how do we root ourselves deeper in God's love? And what we're gonna see in our passage is that the Bible's answer is by training by committing ourselves and dedicating ourselves to the training to pursuing growth. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled, Train Yourself. Got your Bibles, open them up, got your apps, turn them on. We're gonna be going to the New Testament, the second half of our Bibles, to the letter called First Timothy. So we're gonna be going to First Timothy chapter four. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context for this letter as a whole. 
First Timothy is one of two letters by the Apostle Paul, one of the key leaders in the early movement of Jesus, addressed to this young pastor. Timothy had been a partner and a companion of Paul earlier in his life on Paul's missionary, on some of his missionary journeys. And as Paul writes this, Timothy is helping the church in the city of Ephesus in what would now be modern day Turkey. And first and second Timothy are incredible studies in leadership. Leadership. What does it mean to lead the church as a whole? But more importantly, 1st and 2nd Timothy really focuses on the heart of a leader. What type of heart committed to Jesus does a leader need to have so that Jesus overflows into everything they oversee? And the beautiful thing about that is we talk about the greater things, God's greater things always start in the hearts. God's greater things always start in the heart and everything else is an overflow of that. And so with that context being laid, we're gonna be in 1 Timothy chapter four. We're gonna start in verse seven, but before we do, can I invite you, Rocky Peak, would you take one or two deep breaths? You hear me say this often, there's nothing magical about that act that just pauses and focuses us. And before we jump in, just in the quiet of your own heart, would you just pray, Holy Spirit, be my teacher, open my eyes to God's word today. Amen. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven, the apostle says this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. If you've got a physical Bible and a pen, would you put a big circle around the phrase, train yourself? If you've got a digital Bible, I know you can't do it, figure it out. But put a big circle around train yourself because that's the foundation for what we're talking about this morning. But let me unpack the first half of that verse first. So he says, have nothing to do with these godless myths or these wives' tales. And yes, we think of the Greek and the Roman gods. We think of the pantheons of deep deities and beliefs in the ancient world. But this actually goes far bigger and deeper than we realize. The apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy have nothing to do with a worldview that is apart from Jesus himself. And remember as a church, we've been unpacking this concept of worldview for the last year. That worldview is your answer to the most important questions in life. Who am I really? Identity and what is my purpose? What is the most important thing I can be doing with our lives? And what was true then is true today in our culture today, that there is no shortage of voices trying to answer that question. Well, we need to remind ourselves, Christ followers, Jesus has answered that question through his gospel. If you are a believer in the risen Jesus, our worldview is that because of his death and resurrection, you are a beloved son and daughter of the king. And your purpose is to now be a partner to unleash the kingdom of Jesus in the world around us. Hear me, Christ follower, you are not merely an inactive observer. You are an essential partner. This is now your birthright as a Christ follower. And so he's reminding our hearts, remember Timothy is a leader, Timothy is a mature believer and Paul is speaking directly to him as he's speaking to us today. Watch out, stay vigilant. And then he goes on to say, train yourself to be godly. Now that word that we've translated in English to say train, in the Greek, it's a verb, it's a verb, the verb imnazo. If I were to write that in English, the first three letters are G-Y-M. What does that spell? Gym. So what is Paul saying? Go to the gym hit the gym, but he's not speaking in a physical context. He's speaking of our hearts. 
train yourself to be godly in his context. He is not speaking of any type of deification of ourselves, but to be godly is all about experiencing the transformation that Jesus has for us. And so he's saying, train yourself to experience more transformation and understand the beauty of this charge and command that he's given us. As believers in Jesus, We have been saved by his grace and his mercy. There was absolutely nothing any of us could have done to deal with our problem of sin. Jesus came into this world. Jesus took upon the penalty of sin. Jesus conquered it and rose from the grave. And so I'm saved as a gift from God. And so this is not talking about earning our salvation or working to keep our salvation. What Paul is reminding us beautifully was that the moment of salvation was the beginning of the more that God has for your story. And now he's inviting you to experience more of his gospel, more of his truth, more of his power, more of the death and resurrection of Jesus in your life. And as we go to verse eight, we see the impact of training ourselves to experience more of what God has for us. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Would you underline or highlight that phrase, all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so the apostle is encouraging us, train yourself, pursue growth. And as we focus on that phrase, all things, because a heart that is growing is a heart that is overflowing Jesus into all areas of our lives. Think of the magnitude of what Paul is teaching us. Do you want to see more Jesus in your family? It starts with your heart. Do you want to see more Jesus in your place of work or in your school, in your academic pursuits? It starts with your heart. Do you want to see more of Jesus in your successes and in your passions? It starts with your heart. Do you want to see more of Jesus in your circumstances that are trying, in your difficulties, in your hurt, and in your sorrows? It starts with your heart. And again, as we go back to this command of train yourself, the most important thing we need to walk away from is that Paul is teaching us to develop a regular rhythm of pursuing growth. I know in my life and for many of us as believers, we've often fallen into the trap of pursuing growth becoming an isolated event of the Christian life. Hear me, when we gather as the saints on the weekend, this is essential. We need this. It's commanded in scripture. It is a gift and it is beautiful. This moment is not enough to nourish you. When we gather in our life groups throughout the week, it is needed. It is essential. It is, again, a command to gather together, but that alone is not enough to nourish you. When we gather together for an event like Encounter, that is needed. That changes the direction of our church, but that alone is not enough to nourish you. And so for many of us, the command that is timely in 2024 is for this to be a year where we move from isolated training to a commitment to regular rhythms that are pursuing growth. See, if you look there in your note sheet, this isn't the only time that the New Testament teaches this. There from Philippians chapter two, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation. Again, go to the gym. Hit the gym. Underneath that, Second Peter, the apostle Peter, one of the original 12 disciples writing decades after the resurrection of Jesus says this, for this very reason, make every effort. Would you circle that? Make every effort to add to your faith. And then what I don't have in there is the fact that Peter begins to list a long list of fruit of characteristics that we gain through pursuing godliness, through training. He says things like goodness, self-control, godliness, love. And so ultimately, what are we being taught by the New Testament? We're being taught that when it comes to our spiritual growth, God has and God is doing his part through Jesus. Our opportunity is to do ours. God has 
and God is doing his part. The charge is to now do ours. And as we go ahead and leave our scripture for this morning, I wanna unpack just a big picture truth. There on your note sheet, your truth is this, that growth is intentional, not accidental. And if you're looking up at the screens, it's in all caps on purpose. Growth is intentional, not accidental. The charge to train yourself is a charge to live an intentional life, a life that is committed to pursuing growth, to pursuing training, to pursuing godliness. Let me illustrate it like this. Let me talk about getting healthy physically, whether it's working out, whether it's changing our eating habits. That's gonna be an illustration we come back to many times this morning. There are many of us that have experienced success in those pursuits. Being healthier means different things for different people. But if you ask anybody that has experienced any type of victory, again, whether it's a physical going to the gym or working out victory, whether it's a food victory, the way we eat, whether it's a combination of the two, if you ask anyone, what they're not gonna tell you is, yeah, I decided I wanted to be healthy, I went to bed, and the next morning, boom, I just was. Crazy, right? No, what they're gonna tell you is, yeah, I put in the work. I had to make choices. I had to develop a new rhythm and a new lifestyle. And so for many of us, as we start a brand new year and whatever it is we'd like to see happen in this year, there are many of us as Christ followers that we would love 2024, regardless of the circumstances this year throws at us, to be a year of growth. And what we need to understand is because of God's spirit in us, we have a lot more control of that over that than we realize. And it starts with intentionality. And for the sake of clarity, I wanna give you my definition of what it means to be intentional. And this isn't on your note sheet, but as Joel would put it, this one's for free. (laughs) But to me, being intentional means putting our commitment into action. Putting our commitment into action. There's another part of it though. Regardless if we feel like it or not. Some of you are with me on the first parts. And then the second part, you're like, I'm not down with that. See, hear me very, very clearly, Rocky Peak. A lot of times our commitments begin because of emotion. And emotion is a gift. Emotion is a God-given gift. He has wired us for emotion. It is wrong to suppress our emotions and often intentionally so, emotions become a catalyst for a new or a renewed commitment or pursuit of God or pursuit of growth. So again, hear me, it is a gift. However, emotions are designed, and hear that word intentionally, emotions are designed by God to be limited. Emotions are designed to not be strong enough to sustain that commitment for the long term on their own. We need more in addition to our emotions. So again, let me go back to this idea, this illustration of working out. And why that one is so timely is we are in the season which people make or have made New Year's resolutions, right? And the number one resolution that gets made every year has to do with physical health some form of this is the year that I'm going to get healthy. And the number one broken New Year's resolution every year is the physical health resolution. 
Now, again, for those of you that have been down that path, this is probably going to seem relatable. That for many of us, that commitment to physical health began as the result of an emotion, as a result of a catalyst, and that's a good thing. And what those emotions do is they allow an empowerment and they bring in ease, so to speak, at the beginning when we're learning how to make new choices and learning how to make new rhythms. Those emotions, that adrenaline, so to speak, helps when we're waking up earlier for the first time to go to the gym. It helps when we're walking into Whole Foods and are confused by what's in there. Is that just me? As we go into that, they help and it feels good. And for those first couple of weeks, we're like, hey, I think I got it. And then what happens? The emotions get weaker. The difficulties seem bigger. The distractions seem brighter and shinier. The temptations to not follow through seem bigger. And here's what I wanna point out. We all feel that and that is not a point of failure. That is a point of opportunity because it's that point that we need to realize this is what we've been training for. This is what we've been training for because it's at this point that our emotions on purpose are not designed to carry us through that we now get to choose. Are we gonna do this or not? Because it's when we have to choose to do something, to follow through when it is not as easy is when that choice really becomes real. It's when our love and our commitment deepens. Think about it relationally. When we have to choose to love our friends when they are not giving us good reason to love them, that's when that relationship deepens. When we need to choose to love our spouses or to love our children when they are not giving us good reason to love them, that's when that relationship deepens. When we need to choose to love the coworker or the neighbor that is not giving us any reason to love them or to love them well, that is when our relationship with Jesus deepens. When we learn to choose Jesus despite our circumstances, despite our sleepiness, despite all of the reasons that keep us away from, that is when the relationship deepens. And so you see what training leads to? A new depth of commitment, of love, of dedication. This is what Paul is talking about. Train yourself. There in your note sheet, there's a quote by Holly Packiam, and to be fair, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name or, or not, but Holly and her husband, Glenn, they're on staff at Rock Harbor Church down in Orange County, and they wrote this pretty fabulous book called The Intentional Life, and in the beginning, she talks about having grown up as the daughter of an Iowa farmer, and she says this, if there's one thing any farmer knows, it's that stuff doesn't grow on its own. Well, let me rephrase that. Some stuff grows on its own, just not the stuff you want. You have to have a plan and a rhythm. Would you circle that? You have to have a plan and a rhythm. And so what does it look like to train intentionally? Well, there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled that intentional training. And I think there's many answers to this question, but I want to unpack one that I believe is absolutely essential to our lives as believers, and that's your fill-in, and that's spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. Now, as you're writing, would you circle the word disciplines? I don't collect your note sheets, <laughs> nor does anyone on staff. So you're allowed to be honest on your note sheet. Near that word, would you just write honestly, what is your emotional reaction to the word discipline? There's some in this room that have a positive view and understanding of that, and God bless you. But then there's the rest of us that are having flashbacks right now. 
There's the rest of us that are remembering these run-ins we've had with some type of authority, whether run-ins with the school authority, run-ins with a parental authority, run-ins with the law itself. Because for many of us, when we see or hear the word discipline, we immediately think of breaking a rule or being in trouble. You know, for me, my mind immediately goes to the movie Back to the Future my favorite movie of all time. But in particular, it goes to the Mr. Strickland character. If you remember, Mr. Strickland was the school administrator character that loved to call Marty and George slackers. And later on, as the trilogy progressed, he would come to this word discipline, but he used it as a weapon, as a two by four to beat people over the head as if he was superior to those that didn't have discipline. And for many of us, that is our view of the word discipline. Discipline, And so as I introduce this phrase, spiritual disciplines, there's many of us that our reaction is, oh my gosh. Now it's a message for another time, but that is a valuable meaning of discipline, of being corrected when we've done wrong. That is something the Lord does in our lives to love us well, but that's something to unpack another time. Rather, what I wanna talk about with our time is the fact that there is another meaning of discipline and one that is incredibly relevant to what we've been studying this morning. There in your note sheet, there's that verse in 1 Timothy, but instead it's coming out of the NASB translation. It says, rather discipline yourself. See, in our translation, it said train yourself, but in this one it says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And so what is the other meaning of discipline? It's living out your commitment to pursue Jesus. Discipline is living out your commitment to pursue Jesus. And when we understand it that way, all of a sudden discipline becomes a word and a concept filled with beauty. For those of you that are Christ followers, your life began through an act of commitment you experience the commitment that God the Father had for you when he sent his son for you. And as a response, you committed your life to Jesus. Spiritual discipline is how we continue to act on that commitment, that we are committing to pursue Jesus with all we've got. We are committing to pursue the growth that only Jesus can bring. And so what then is a spiritual discipline? Because this is a common church phrase, so to speak. But for the sake of clarity, I wanna give you a definition. Again, this one's free, it's not in your note sheets. But I would say that a a spiritual discipline is a regular activity. So activity that is in a regular rhythm, a regular activity that is within our power to do. And I love that part. You don't need a PhD to engage in many of the disciplines. You can do it now. A regular activity that is within our power to do that helps root us in Jesus. A regular activity that's within our power to do that helps root us in Jesus. And what we call spiritual disciplines, we see in scripture modeled by the people of God we see the spiritual discipline of prayer, and that's a big, big bucket. There are multiple forms, but we see how that leads people in many forms to experience the presence of Jesus in in their lives. We see the model of God's people in the early church using the word, speaking it out loud, oral reading, teaching from it as a way to lead them to encounter the risen Jesus. We see in scripture the spiritual discipline of worship, not simply the musical part of worship, but the deeper meaning of worship, of worship being a lifestyle of obeying, worship being a lifestyle of following the leadership of King Jesus. We see in scripture the spiritual discipline of serving, Just as Jesus has served us, we now are released and unleashed to be able to serve the church, to serve the world around us. But here's the beautiful thing and the most important thing you need to understand about the spiritual disciplines. The power is not in the activity itself. The power of a spiritual discipline is in the who the discipline leads us to. The power of the spiritual disciplines is not in the activity itself. 
but it's in the Jesus, the King that it leads us to. And that's the beautiful part of the spiritual disciplines. But there in Enochi, again, we need to ask an important question. So why train this way? And we're gonna stay kind of big picture this week because it's important that for many of us, if we've been raised around the idea of spiritual disciplines or we've heard about spiritual disciplines, there are some of us that have a growing, thriving pursuit that is our gym. But the truth is there are many Christ followers that the spiritual disciplines are a place of boredom. The spiritual disciplines, we've tried it and it didn't work. I didn't get anything out of it or it was hard. There are many of us that maybe we do disciplines regularly, but it just feels like I'm checking off the box. And so I think it's important that before we get into the what, meaning the specific disciplines, we're gonna unpack that next week, we need a better why for why train this way. Because if we're gonna pursue growth, our foundation needs to be built on the why that Jesus teaches us. And so there in your note sheet, I'm gonna go through these quickly, but there are three answers to the why. Why train through spiritual disciplines? The first one is this, to know and experience God. Why train through the spiritual disciplines? So that we can know and experience more of who God is. And I understand that can sound super simple, but sometimes we overcomplicate the Christian life. And it's the simplest truths that are the most profound and life-changing. So what, is, what opportunity do we find in spiritual disciplines? Well, we find the opportunity to see God's presence in my life. God's presence is not trapped in this building. God's presence is not only found when a band is leading worship. When we engage in spiritual disciplines, we begin to see God's presence everywhere. And not only that, when we begin to see God's presence, we begin to trust his presence with us. We begin to trust his promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. But not only that, when we begin to see and trust his presence, we begin to hear, to learn to discern God's voice speaking to us through various means. And when we begin to discern the voice of God in our lives, that's when we begin learning what it looks like to listen and follow to his leadership. You know, in two weekends, we're gonna be kicking off this brand new series called Hearing God, all about how do we hear, discern, and obey the voice of God in our lives. And so much of that is gonna revolve around various spiritual disciplines. And so that's one why. The next one, your next villain, is that we train this way so that we can be transformed by God. To be transformed by God. And there's a beautifully simple principle behind this. We become like the people we spend the most time with. The way we talk, the way we act, what we're interested in, that is impacted by the people that we spend the most time with. One of my favorite things to hear, I take this as such a compliment, is sometimes people that know my wife, Megan, if they hear me say something insightful or good, they know immediately that's Megan's voice. <laughs> yes, it is. Because I spend the most amount of time with her there's an impact on my life. And so as Christ followers, all of us have this desire to be more like Jesus. And again, we can't overcomplicate this. If we wanna be more like Jesus, then it starts by being with Jesus. If we wanna be more like Jesus, then the answer to that is by, it was, we, we need to choose to be with Jesus. That's where we experience transformation. That's especially where we experience God's love of conviction and it leads us to repentance. Why is repentance such a beautiful thing? Because it's Jesus removing the things that are keeping us from transformation. And so we train this way to be transformed by God. And then the last one, we train this way to be unleashed by God. We train this way to be unleashed by God. The power of God, the presence of God, the transformation of God is not meant to be limited just to us. 
We train through his spiritual discipline to experience more of his truth, more of his grace, more of his mercy, more of his presence, to experience more of that conviction, more repentance, more transformation, and then he sends us out to bring the kingdom everywhere we go. And so again, do you wanna see the kingdom take root in your family? It starts with you. Do you wanna see the kingdom take root in your work, at your school, in your crisis, in your neighborhood, in your circumstances, in our state, in our nation? It starts with us training, experiencing, being transformed, and being unleashed. Ultimately, why do we train through the spiritual disciplines? I love how my friend Christy put it, because the spiritual, lead us, the spiritual disciplines lead us to God's greatest thing, which is Jesus. That is the greatest thing, is experiencing more of Jesus in our lives. And so, with the foundation of a new why, we need to continue big picture again. We're gonna get very specific next week, but this picture is, okay, what does it look like then to train well? What does it look like to train effectively with that, okay? We're understanding more of what the disciplines are. We're understanding a why, so how do we do this to the best of our abilities? And there on your note sheet, effective training requires a new rhythm. Effective training requires a new rhythm. One of the mistakes I have made often, and I'm willing to bet I'm not alone in this room, one of the mistakes I've made towards pursuing growth is I have tried to fit my pursuit of Jesus in life as I know it currently. One of the mistakes that I have made is I have tried to make Jesus work, so to speak, in the whirlwind that is my normal life. And that has not worked. When it comes to pursuing growth, when it comes to pursuing Jesus, business as usual is not going to cut it. Because if we try to cram Jesus in business as usual, we are minimizing the vision, the more that God has for us. Because as I've often said, God's vision for you is to not be slightly better than who you were before. God's vision for you is to be a radically new creation that is learning to live in a radically new reality, what we call the kingdom of God. And so rather than making God fit in my life as I know it, what I'm being invited to experience, what the Bible is empowering me and freeing me to do is to build a brand new life on the foundation of Jesus and make everything else second to that. Amen. We need a new vision, a new rhythm. We need to build our life on this. And let me speak specifically to the parents in this room as I'm a parent of three kids. We are our children's first and most important model of what it means to follow Jesus. We need to be incredibly intentional to not be modeling that we try to fit Jesus in what we know, but we build everything upon the foundation of Jesus. They need to see in our model that it is not business as usual, that we are teaching them to live in the new reality God has for them. And so again, going back to this metaphor of fitness, of physical health, one of the most incredible, one of the most essential things to have if you're pursuing health goals, health, health, health goals is that, is to have the right goals and the right expectations. And so if we're gonna be developing a new rhythm, what I wanna do as we wrap things up is I wanna give you three goals for what this rhythm should look like, three expectations. So your first one is this, slow and consistent. Our goal in training is for it to be slow and consistent moving away from the occasional, from the isolated, from the every so often, and seeing it that every day and every step is an investment in lifelong rhythms. And learning to develop new rhythms takes time, and that's okay. You know, I heard a pastor put it once that sometimes as Christ followers, we want a Costco relationship with God. 
And what does that mean? When we go to Costco, what is usually our goal? To buy as much to make sure that we don't have to come back anytime soon. <laughs> we want a Costco relationship with God. And so we're often looking for the spiritual quick hit or the spiritual quick fix. How do I, what's the one plan? What's the one study? What's the one book? What's the one sermon? What's the one life group that I just need? It's gonna give me the fix and everything's good for the rest of life. And those things can all be beautiful steps, but again, on their own, they're not enough. We need to see this in the long term. Let me, exp let me share with you a way that this has deeply impacted my life. I gave my life to Jesus at 15 years old as a result of the high school ministry here at Rocky Peak. And at 16, as a brand new believer, my high school life group leader, and I don't know if you're out there, but Todd, thank you. My high school life group leader, he told me once, if you wanna grow, then read your Bible every day. And I took that to heart. And so what I began to do was I began to read my Bible every day. And there were days in which it was easy to do. And then there were days in which it was really hard. Maybe I was tired. There were several times I fell asleep in a Bible. There were days in which I didn't understand what I was reading. I was new to this. There were names and concepts and all of this. I don't know what's going on. But I kept hearing his encouragement in my head every day, every day. And sometimes it was for long lengths of times. Sometimes it was short. But what I knew was, hey, if this is gonna stick, I need to make sure I'm taking a step towards this each and every day. I started that when I was 16. I'm 41 years old now, 25 years later, and my Bible habits are still built on that foundation. The how I engage with scripture has changed, but that consistency was laid for me back then. Slow and consistent. Second goal, challenging. Our new rhythm of training, we want it, we need it to be challenging. Because it's often when we encounter the challenging that grows us the most. Let me illustrate it this way. I don't like gyms. I think I've made that very, very clear. But believe it or not, years ago, early into our marriage, Megan actually got me to go to the gym with her for a season in our life. We were living in the valley. We were going to the YMC in Porter Ranch. And there was at the time a back room. I don't know if there is because I haven't been in there in a long time. But there was a back room that had the ellipticals, the cross trainer machines. And that's what I did. And you know why that's what I picked to do? Because it had a TV on it. <laughs> And no joke, this is my distorted sense of humor. I found it awesome and hilarious to be working out at the gym while watching the Food Network. So I would just pop that on <laughs> and work. But we would go to the gym and Megan would do various things and that's what I would do. And then once she's like, hey, like, why don't you try other things? And I looked at her and said, no, because they're hard. I don't know how to do this. I tried the treadmill, I tried this, I don't get it, it's hard, I don't like it, I'm gonna stick to what I know. And that many times has been me spiritually. Sometimes you fall into this trap that we pick spiritual disciplines based on what we like. And again, there's good in that. I'm not saying that shouldn't be a factor, but sometimes if we dig deeper, what we mean by what we like is what's easy and convenient we need to ask a better question if we want to train well. Not, do I like this or not? The question of, is God going to use this to grow me? That's the better question. Is God going to use this to grow me? Because what we see throughout scripture is Jesus challenging his people, not because he enjoys seeing us hurt or hardship or suffer, but because he knows as a loving, as a loving king, the challenge is what produces the best growth. To use an example, several years ago, I felt the Lord very clearly call me in my Bible reading time to enter into a season of listening to the word of God. And that was absolutely surprising to me. And I don't say this as a joke. I'm a terrible auditory learner. 
I'm a visual learner. When I'm in a setting like this, I'm writing a lot because I need to see it visually. I wish I had the gift that many of you had to be able to pound audible. I don't, I don't retain that way. So I was really surprised, but God was clear. And so I began to listen to the Bible, the popular version app, the Why You Buy What, it reads it to you. So I began spending time listening to it and it was hard. And I was like, okay, and I kept trying it and it kept being hard. And I kept trying it and it was hard. I kept doing it, it was hard, but I felt God saying, this is how you're gonna train in this season. And so little by little, I started seeing progress. Little by little, it started becoming more and more manageable and that was rooted in the fact that it started becoming a rhythm. Now, it never got to a point where it was a walk in the park and easy, but why I'm so thankful for that season and it was through engaging with the Bible in a way that I would have never chosen that God unleashed his word in a fresh way in my life. And so one of our goals is that training needs to be challenging appropriately but challenging. And then the last goal is have the expectation that it's beautiful. This is not drudgery. We are not being forced into this. Do you understand what we are being called to do? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we get to go into the presence of God. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we get to call God the Father, Father, just as Jesus does. Because of the work of Jesus, we are no longer separated. We are no longer enemies. We are in the presence of God at all times because of the Spirit in us. When we walk into training, when we walk into discipline, when we walk into whatever it is, those habits, and those rhythms with the attitude of I get to do this, that severely impacts how we see it. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And I love there on your note sheet, again from Glenn and Holly, part of the point of spiritual formation is training our eyes and to see and our ears to hear God in the world and learning to sing along with creation. That requires changing our tune. We can't join in God's symphony if we're singing our own songs. If you flip your note sheet to the back, you're gonna see that there's another section and there's more. We're not gonna go to it. <laughs> we're gonna save that for next week. And you know why? Because yesterday as I was getting ready to deliver this message, I felt the Lord very clearly say, Let's end and rest on the beauty that this all is. Let's end and rest on the beauty that we are called to train so that we can experience more of who Jesus is. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go into a final time of worship and you're gonna see this opportunity for beauty as we get to sing a hymn that is encouraging us to declare our surrender. And that's the beautiful mystery of God that surrender is the most beautiful posture we can take. And what does surrender lead us to? Thankfulness. And so that's gonna lead us to an opportunity to sing our gratitude out loud. And so let me encourage you, Rocky Peak, as we start a brand new year, let this not simply be words that we sing, but let this be the declaration of our commitment to pursue growth together, amen? amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for restoring us. Thank you for giving us new life. Thank you for now calling us to live in a new reality in the reality of the kingdom. Thank you that we now get to train to experience more of your love, more of what you have for us, Jesus. How that equips us to know God the Father better. How that leads us to transformation. How that equips us to go out into the world and to declare how beautiful and how risen and how great King Jesus is. And so we are making a commitment as a church. We are gonna take the apostles Paul's word to hearts and this is gonna be a year of training. This is gonna be a year of commitment. Teach us, Jesus, lead us. How do you want us to grow? As we make this declaration, we surrender to your leadership wonderfully and fill us with a gratitude that carries us through beyond this service. It's in your name, King Jesus. We all said, amen.